I'm so grateful to be here, to uh, be a part of this evening with you all, be a part of the, the, the fall uh, conference this weekend with you all. So I am from Kansas, and I um, have grown up watching uh, USC sports on TV uh, my whole life, and um, epic games and it's been so fun and I this is my first day to be here and it's been a real treat for me so and just to be here at Christian I work with the Christian Challenge in at Kansas State and I've been doing that for about 20 years I brought a picture of my family so um, this is uh, we have a, a family of five so our youngest is Jason and he is 12 and uh, he's he loves uh, baseball and basketball, and um, still on the picture here. <laughs> and then there's Sarah, our daughter. She's a freshman in high school, and she loves to bake, and she um, she loves dogs, and um, she loves to be creative. She likes to make food for us, and and uh, no, our goal is to try to get her to follow a recipe, but. Every time we sit down to eat something she's created, she's like, there's a surprise in this. Guess what it is? And um, we don't like that game as much as she does, but um, she, she likes to be creative. And then our son, Levi, he's a junior in high school, and he loves the outdoors, and uh, he loves to build things. He's, he's a junior in high school, and he still um, wants to spend all of his money on Legos. And I feel, I don't know how... I, his Legos are taking over our house, but he still wants more. So that's kind of our family. And then my wife, my wife and I are celebrating this year. Our, uh, we've been married for 20 years. So um, I can't believe this has gone by real fast, but she's here. That's my wife, Gail, back there. So we'll be with you all weekend. So a little bit, of, little bit of our story. We met in college. We actually met at a Christian Challenge party um, at K-State. And we, um, when we were not dating, we went on a focus trip overseas together, and then we came back from that, and we started dating, and we dated for 50 weeks, and two weeks before our one-year uh, celebration, um, we broke up, and we were broken up for like five months, and then I asked her to marry me, and we were engaged for six, and we got married, and so that's, <laughs> that's our story, and we've been married for 20 years. So our, uh, our Christian Challenge director at the time gave me some really great advice. We were broken up, and uh, he, he, he sat me down in his living room. I think we went and played ball together for a while, and we were, like, stretching out in the living room afterwards. He said, Robbie, listen, you've dated her already. If you want to be, if, if you ever want to get back together with her, you don't need to date. You're not going to know her any better than you know her right now. Just if you're going to go back with her, have, be ready to commit and just propose. That's what I did. So anyway, but I got to tell you, when we were, when we were, um, is my PowerPoint, is my PowerPoint giving you trouble? Sorry about that. It's probably my, um, when we were uh, overseas, we were on this cultural exchange deal. We were, we were in, in China for the summer when we were students. And so we were going to be studying Chinese all summer in this um, city, at, the, at this university, and the teacher that the school had, had, uh, hired to be our teacher that summer. She came and met us right after we arrived there and before our classes start, she wanted to just spend some time with us. So she took us around the city and she showed us 
she showed us where to go to the market, and she showed us where we could buy like American um, foods and drinks and things like that. And so she got to know us a little bit. Well, then the first day of class on that next Monday, she begins, the first thing she does in our class is she begins to go around the room and give everybody our Chinese name. And so she gets to one of my friends, and she's like, she's like, well, when we were uh, going around town, I just, as I was talking to you, I just noticed how, how smart you are and how, 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 how wise and how quick-witted you are. And so I want to give you this name, Wei Ming, which means great wisdom. And then she looks at, you know, one of the other, one of the other uh, people. It's like, I just, when I saw you, your face just is so beautiful. And just, you're always smiling and your, your face just, just light up the room. And, and I think of a beautiful flower when I see you. So I wanted to give you the name Mei Lian, which means beautiful lotus. And here's what a lotus looks like. She's writing up the name on the board. And she's like, the other guy, she's like, you're just so strong when I look at you. And so well, she's just like going around and naming everybody and like see, telling us what she sees in us. And so... I'm sitting in the back, and my heart just is building with anticipation because I'm so excited to hear, what did she see in me? You know, like, what's she going to say about me? What's she, like, I'm ready to be affirmed. Like, I have, I, I have this bucket that needs your affirmation, you know, and so I'm ready for it. She gets to me, and she writes in Chinese up on the board, and she said, your name is Luoke. And then she moves on to the next person. And so... <laughs> So I, raised, so I raised my hand, and she, she, said, she said, what? And I, I was like, what does my name mean? And she said, oh, your name just sounds nice. It means nothing. <laughs> and so I know. Okay, well, so everybody, all my friends did the same thing you used to. They, they all laughed. And so we actually, at the end of the summer, we made a book with all of our reflections from the summer. So I still have it. It's a treasure. It's really cool. Well, there's a chapter in the book from my reflection of the summer, and the title of the chapter is Sounds Nice, Means Nothing. And all through the summer, my team like kept laughing about that, and they would call me that. And I got to tell you that it was funny, and I did enjoy the humor, but every time I heard that, something inside me just kind of stung a little bit. Because I think how people view you, how people see you, and how, how you perceive that they're viewing you is a powerful thing, Right? What you believe about yourself is a powerful thing. And that's what we're going to see tonight as we take a, a look into the life of one of my favorite characters in the Bible. One of my favorite stories is the story of Jacob. So if you have your Bibles, if you would open them up to Genesis chapter 28 or turn them on to Genesis chapter 28. You know, Genesis is one of the fastest moving books of the Bible. We have 50 chapters in Genesis, and we're covering many, many, many years over this time. It's, it's, it's super fast. Most of that time span goes by in Genesis 1 through 11, the first 11 chapters. Then we get to chapter 12, and the story that, that we have in Genesis. Genesis is just the first book of the Bible. He's kind of painting these strokes. of like, this is who God is. God is powerful. God is the creator. God is artistic. You know, all these things that we're learning. And we get to Genesis 12, the story begins to slow down, and we get to this thing that, that we call the age of the patriarchs. And we start to see, we kind of get introduced to the character of God through the lives of people. And so we have the story of Abraham that goes from Genesis 12 to about Genesis 24, Gen Genesis 23. He's got about 12 chapters in there that are de devoted to his story. Then Isaac gets the story. And then we get to chapter 25, and it begins to unpack the story of a man named Jacob. Now, 
when Jacob was born, his, his birth's really interesting because his wife, or his wife, his mom, Rebecca, when she was pregnant, God spoke to her and said, you have two boys in your womb, and the oldest will serve the youngest. I don't know if you're familiar with this story, but it's a really unique thing because in that time, the, the oldest child got all the, like everything was kind of paved the way for the oldest child. They, they received double the inheritance. Like everything was kind of catered to the oldest child so that God would say the oldest will serve the youngest was a real anomaly to them. And so she gives birth, and when she does, the Bible describes the first boy. He said he came out and he was covered in red hair, and they called him Esau, which probably means hairy. So he's got red hair all over him. And the younger boy, Jacob, he, he came out and he was, he was holding on to the heel of his brother. And so they named him Jacob, which means he grasps the heel. That's what that name means, which is important because it's, it's a phrase, it's a figurative way of saying he deceives. Does that make sense? That, so it, the, our modern-day equivalent, so it would be like saying, you know, I'm going to go hit the books. And we know you're not, you know, that we know that means you're going to go study. Or the modern-day equivalent of, of he grasps the heel would be like, I'm just pulling your leg. You know, I'm pulling your leg means I'm, I'm tricking you, you know. It's just a joke. And so he grasps the heel. So he was named, so think about that. He was named Deceiver. That was the name that he responded to. When his friends would call to him, he would turn. When he heard the word deceiver, he would turn and face that. It's what his parents called him. It's what his brother called him. It's what everybody called him. Hey, deceiver. And he would turn. That's the name he responded to over and over again. So after this, there's, there's really two big stories in the first part of Jacob's life that, that the Bible describes. And the first one is his brother. So his, his brother Esau was um, kind of a... I, kind of a wild man, so he's hairy, right? And he, he likes, to, he loves the outdoors. He loves to hunt, and and the Bible describes how how his dad favored him. And Jacob was kind of a homeboy. He liked to be in the home and and make food and and do housework, and and his mom favored him. So he got this one's mom's favorite, this one's dad's favorite, and so that was the culture of the home is really this dysfunctional kind of home to grow up in. But that was the home that Jacob grew up in. And so there's a story where Esau's been out hunting, and he comes in and says he's famished, he's starving, he thinks he's, he's so hungry, he's like, I'm going to die if I don't eat right now. And Jacob's been preparing food, and he says, like, brother, you know, deceiver, give me some of this food. And the, the deceiver says, he says, I'm about to die if you don't give it to me. And, and Jacob says, well, first surrender your birthright to me, and then I'll give it to you. So he manipulates his brother. So Esau's like, well, what good is my birthright if I'm dead? So, yeah, you can have my birthright, and then Jacob gives him food. Okay, fast forward a few years, next story takes place. This one involves the whole family. Isaac's old, and his, he's losing his eyesight. He's about to die, so he calls in his favorite son. And he says, Esau, go out into the wilderness and hunt some game and prepare it the way I like it and bring it to me, and I'll give you your blessing. And so mom overhears the conversation. So Esau goes out hunting, and mom calls in Jacob. And mom says, Jacob, your, your father is ready to give the blessing. So I want you, I, I'm going to go get some goats. I'm going to prepare them. We'll pretend like they're the wild game. And um, you go in and lie to your dad. 
and get your brother's blessing. And Jacob's like, I don't want to do that because if he, if he um, knows that it's me, he'll curse me instead of bless me. And Rebecca, the, the mom, says, well, let the curse fall on me. You know, you go and do this. See, see the mom is training her son to live out this broken identity, this broken label that he has. Do it. You can do it. You can lie. You can be deceptive. He's like, well, my brother's a hairy man. What if he, what if he touches me and he'll know that it's not me? And she, she's like, well, put some of the goat's hair on the back of your hand, on the back of your neck. So if he touches you, he'll think that you're your brother. So he does what his mom says, and he goes in, and he, he's, he, uh, he brings the food in. And, and so his dad's like suspects that something's wrong. And he says, he says, how did you find the game so quickly? Because uh, Isaac senses something's wrong. And so Jacob says this. He says, your God gave me success. That's an important phrase in this story. He says, your God gave me success. Not my God, not, not our God, Dad. is your God. Your God gave me success. Isaac still's not sure if it's really his son Esau. So he says, son, come a little closer. And he feels Jacob's hands, and they feel like Esau's. He asked him three times, so then he asked him a third time, are you really my son? And Jacob says, I am. So Isaac blesses him, and then Jacob leaves. And right after Jacob leaves, Esau returns from the hunt, and he's ready for his blessing. And he goes in, and he finds out that his father has already given the blessing to his little brother. And here's what Isaac says, or Isaac says, your brother deceived me. And here's what Esau replies back. Isn't he rightly named Jacob? Because he has deceived me these two times. So Esau's mad. He wants to kill his brother. Has a totally wrecked home. He wants to kill him. So mom hears about this, and she's encouraging Jacob. What, what does she encourage him to do? She's like, don't stand up to the truth. Like, don't face your past. Don't face what you've done. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to run away. Go to this other land. You can stay there with my family and be protected from your brother. And just wait a while. Just kind of wait it out. Protect yourself. Live to protect yourself. Jacob, you're a deceiver. Give way to fear. Run away. That's the counsel that Jacob had. That's how he was trained. That's what he was called. And this gets us to Genesis 28. So here's what we know of Jacob up to this point. He's been given the identity of deceiver, and he's lived it out. His mom's even trained him to live it out. And he, he didn't ask for it. It was just the hand that he was dealt. And so the question I'd, I'd like to ask you is, if you think about your own story, you know, what's the hand that you've been dealt? What's the label that's been placed on your life, the, the broken one? Maybe the, the evil one would want you to, to live from. Jacob's trying to pretend when, when he really wanted something, he, would try to, he was trying to pretend to be somebody that he wasn't. I'm Esau. So maybe, maybe think about that, like, how do I pretend to be someone else? And maybe that'll give us a clue into a broken label that can be kind of tattooed on our lives. So 
So the, the question that drove, as, as we're reading through Genesis, the question that drove the Abraham story before Jacob is, is God enough? Can, can we really trust God? And so over and over again in Abraham's story, God is speaking into the story, saying, I'm going I'm to make you a great nation. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to give you peace around your borders. And over and over again, that's, God is proving himself faithful. But the question that drives Jacob's story is, where is God? Where is he? Jacob's heard about the covenant between God and his grandfather Abraham. He's heard of all the ways that God has spoken to his grandfather Abraham. He's heard of all the ways that God has proved himself. But where's God in my story? That's what drives Jacob's story. And I can so relate to that in my own life. So I grew up in church. Uh, my my father came to Christ shortly before I was born, and so um, I kind of was born into this flame of new found life in Christ. And uh, raised in church from when I was young, and I, and I hear these stories, and I've been around, I've heard the Bible stories, you know, and I've, I read about God doing these amazing things, and so I, in my head, I'm like, well, I, I believe that God is real and that God is big, and I believe that the nations are just a drop in the bucket to him, but is he going to be big enough for me? You know, is, is, is he near enough that he'd be, you know, near me? Like, I don't have a lot of great stories. I've got a lot of failures that I can talk about, but not a lot of great stories. In fact, before we get into Genesis 28, we're going to... Um, the kind of my story, everywhere I went when I was a kid, it seemed like everybody was keeping score, like everybody's keeping record on my life. So I, I grew up in a small town, and the only thing there really was to do was sports, since that's what I did. And I was always good enough to make the team, but I just was never really good enough to contribute on any team. I rode the bench all the time. So as I worked, I, it felt like to me that I worked harder than anybody. I, I worked hard enough to, to win a jersey, and then I just sit on a bench. And um, so in the weight room, there was a chart with my name on it. There was a notebook with my name on it, keeping record of my attendance and, and my lifts. In the locker room, there was a chart with my name on it, along with everybody else's comparing my stats for all the games with everybody else's. And those stats would stay up there all year long for all the guys to come in and walk by in the locker room and see. And in my church, there was a chart with my name on it, like how many verses have I memorized and what's my attendance been like. Everywhere I went, I kept score. And so somehow it kind of became like I began to, um, as I was growing up, begin to relate my own story of like kind of like a game. And I felt like I was just like in sports. And same with academics. I made good grades, but my friends were like, valedictorians they were getting the scholarships that I wasn't you know and it's like everywhere I looked I just saw my shortcomings I'm second string I'm second string I'm second string in academics I'm second string in sports I'm even second string with God and that label I'll tell you how deep it runs in my heart that my best friend died of cancer. This has been 12 years ago. 
and he was way too young to die, and he wasn't married, and so um, he didn't have anybody to really, I was the closest person to kind of walk through that with him, so I went with him to his chemo drips, and I went with him to the specialist, and I was sitting in the room when the doctor came in and said, there's nothing we can do, uh, the cancer's spread too much, we can't operate, treatment won't be effective. And then I was with him in the ICU when he died. And I was standing next to him when Jason died. And that second string just like was so like kind of bored down into my heart that after he died, I stood over his body laying there in the ICU and I asked, I told him I was sorry because I felt like I was a second string friend. I just remember thinking, if you would have had a best friend that had more faith, if you would have had a best friend that was better at prayer, you know, that may, maybe would have done things a little different, maybe you would have, you know, been rescued. This is how deep it kind of just bore into me. So Jacob was, was labeled liar. He manipulated his brother to steal his birthright. As his father's preparing to die, he takes advantage of his father, takes advantage of his father's blindness, lied to him three times, he even brought God into the lie and said, your God gave me success. You can trust me, Dad, because it was God who gave me success. We know that Jacob's never referred to God in a personal way. In the Abraham story from the beginning, God speaks to him over and over again. I read through it. I counted 16 times. In 12 chapters, God speaks affirmation and promise, and he speaks, he speaks blessing to Abraham 16 times in 12 chapters. And you read in Jacob's life, and God is silent. Jacob's at least 40 years old when we get to chapter 28. Some commentators think he's 70 years old by this time. And his life's only been defined by deception. So, now we'll get into Genesis 28. Let's read a few verses here. Jacob left Beersheba, and he went toward Haran. He reached a certain place and spent the night there because the sun had set. He took one of the stones from the place, put it there at his head, and lay down in that place. So, here's something kind of interesting. You know, remember Jacob... He, he really enjoyed being at home. He was kind of a homeboy. He, his brother was the outdoorsman, but here we find him outside, and we find him all alone. And, 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 and one of the, we're going to find out in a few verses that he was in a city called Luz, and the culture of that time, and, and you see this in Genesis, when you travel to a new city, someone in that city would, would offer their home to you as hospitality, but we find Jacob, nobody's offered him a home to stay in, and I don't know if it's because... He didn't want to be with people, or maybe nobody just wants to be with him. But we find him all alone, um, by himself, laying his head, with, with nothing, laying his head on a rock to sleep. Verse 12, and he dreamed. A stairway was set on the ground, with its top reaching the sky, and God's angels were going up and down it. The Lord was standing there beside him, saying, I am the Lord the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac. 
I will give you and your offspring the land on which you are lying. Your offspring will be like the dust of the earth. You will spread out toward the west, the east, the north, and the south, and all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. Finally, God speaks. And if you read Genesis... These verses we just read will sound really familiar because these are the same phrases that God has spoke 16 times to Abraham. And this is really awesome because what has Jacob done to deserve the blessing of God? He's done nothing. In the midst of our pain, in the midst of our brokenness in the midst of our living out of broken identities in the midst of deception in the midst of hurt God speaks into our story but there's something new here that was never mentioned to his grandfather Abraham in verse 15 God goes on to say look I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go I will bring you back to this land, for, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. This is new. This is new compared to the covenant that God had spoken to Abraham. God mentioned his presence to Isaac, but not with near this much authority. So what do we learn about God from Jacob's life? In the midst of hurt, pain, in the midst of brokenness, not only is God faithful, but he's also present. He is near. Jacob is not alone. He's lied over and over again. He's severed his relationship with his brother. He's hurt his relationship with his father. His mom told him, run away. He has no servant with him. He has no home, but he is not alone. God is right there with him. And the first thing that we have to realize, if we're going to overcome the broken labels that the enemy loves to kind of stamp on our lives, is that God does not abandon us. He is near, and that is good news. God is near. God was with me in the ICU. I remember sitting next to my friend's bed, and I was just he and I, and I just was out of words, you know. I was I was out of thoughts. I didn't know what to say, and I was just kind of overcome with emotion, and I felt these hands on my shoulders, and my uh, pastor's wife had walked into the room, and she just walked in and placed her hands on my shoulders, and she began to sing, hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah over me, and it was just kind of a reminder, just like, God is near, God is here, even in, you know, desperate times. See, we will never overcome the labels that we have been that's been tattooed on our identity by getting stronger, <laughs> by thinking better. We, we don't overcome brokenness in our lives by daily affirmations that we have, you know, laminated in our showers. We are not the overcomers. 
Our role in those moments in life where the fallen world tries to break us, when the enemy comes and whispers lies in our ear about who we are, our role in those moments is just to believe that life is not found in what the world says about us, but life is found in who he is. Life is found in who God is. He is for us. He was there in your story cheering you on. He was there. He was there in your story crying with you. He was there in your story hurting for you, holding you. We serve a God who's not only faithful, but he's also willing to meet us in the midst of great pain. So I want you to see in verse 16 how Jacob responds to this revelation. When Jacob awoke from his sleep, he said, surely the Lord is in this place, and I didn't know it. He was afraid and said, what an awesome place this is. This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. And early in the morning, Jacob took the stone that was near his head and set it up as a marker. He poured oil on top of it and named the place Bethel, though previously the city was named Luz. Then Jacob made a vow. If God will be with me, And watch over me during this journey I'm making. If he provides me with food to eat and clothing to wear, and if I return safely to my father's family, then the Lord will be my God. Never before has Jacob referred to God in the story as my God. He's the God of my father. He's your God, Dad. He has a covenant with you. You know him. I've only heard of him. Well, not anymore. And this is what's so cool. What's moved Jacob's heart wasn't even this promise of blessing. It wasn't this covenantal promise about how I'm going to give you, I'm going to make you a great nation and give you peace and all this. That's not what moved his heart. What moved Jacob's heart was the presence of God. He didn't say, if you turn my descendants into a great nation. He didn't say, if you give me this land. He said, if this is true, if you're really with me, you're with me, it changes everything. Then the Lord will be my God. And then Jacob speaks to God for the first time in verse 22. He says, this stone that I have set up as a marker will be God's house, and I will give to you a tenth of all that you give me. So this is kind of funny, I think, because remember, Jacob didn't have anything. He's got a flask of oil. And, he's, and a rock that he slept on. And so he makes a vow. And this is what's so awesome is that all through his life, he's lied and he's cheated and he's manipulated to get whatever he's got. But here he has an encounter with God and he realizes the presence of God, that God is for him and God is near. And all of a sudden he's rising up like, I want to make a commitment. I want to be a man of honor. And so he doesn't have anything. So he's like, I'm going to give you a tenth of everything I'm ever going to have. And he takes his oil and he pours it out on his rock. Instead of stealing, lying, and running, we find him committing. We see him the heart to give. You know why? Because life is not found in what you believe about yourself. Life is found in what you believe about God. A.W. Tozer says, what you believe about God is the most important thing about you. What you believe about God is the most important thing about you. K. 
can you trust him that he's there in the midst of your label? So let me, I want to, we're going through 11 chapters, you know, 20, 30 years uh, and 30 minutes. So here's how the story ends. So Jacob goes on from there and he tries really hard to live a different life. He tries to not live a life of deception, to be honest, and uh, to give up his deceitful ways. But finally, his, his past kind of comes back for him. And after several years, Jacob kind of falls into um, deceitful living once again. And uh, 20 years go by, and he finally decides, I'm going to return home. I'm going to face my past. Fascinating story. And on his way home to face his past, he wrestles. There's a famous story where he wrestles with the divine, with, wrestles with a man, with some kind of angel or maybe God incarnate. And in that wrestling match, the divine, this man tells Jacob, you will no longer be called. Well, first he says, what's your name? And when Jacob's heard that question before, he lies. I'm Esau. <laughs> but this time he comes clean and he says, I'm Jacob. You want to know who I am? I'm second string. You want to know who I am? You know, I'm anorexic. Pervert. I had a student tell me one time that he was, his name was Pervert. He's just so gripped with sexual sin in his life. I'm failure. I'm worthless. Jacob comes clean, and then God renames him. He says, you will no longer be known as Jacob, but you'll be known as Israel. Israel means one who wrestles with God. Your name will be something that's strong. At the end of the summer, that Gail and I, when we were overseas, at, at, at the end of several weeks there, we were saying our goodbyes, and this family that we'd gotten really close to gathered us. We sat in a circle on the floor around his living room, and he had written a note to each one of us. And he read this note to me, and it's crazy, like, I think God so used him in my life in that moment. And he, he says, Robbie, this is what his note said. You are David, a man after God's own heart. And God has given you a song to sing. And he just went on in this letter saying, you know, what he saw in me, what he believed that God was going to do through my life, just speaking vision into me. And it was so meaningful. Now think about that. Think about how powerful that is. If, if I feel like God's calling me to do something difficult, and I'm living under the name Sounds Knife, means nothing, or living under the name Second String, how will I respond? But I feel like God's calling me to take a risk and I'm living out of the identity of man after God's own heart. Do you see the difference? We overcome labels by fixing our eyes on God and how we understand who God is. 
And then the other part of that, we, we, we believe and we trust in what God says about us. In fact, C.S. Lewis, when A.W. Tozer, he wrote this, you know, what you think about God is the most important thing about you. C.S. Lewis then wrote, um, he countered what A.W. Tozer, he said, I, I read somewhere that what we think about God is the most important thing about us. He said, if I, I don't have it written down, but he says something like, like uh, he said, that's not true. He said, what God thinks about you is infinitely more important than what, God, what you think about God. In fact, what you think about God is only important so much as how it relates to what God thinks about you. And those are the two ways of, of like overcoming labels. We, we fix our eyes on God and, and we, we set our heart on who he is, not on who we are. And then we accept, we believe what he says about us. And so Jacob limps the rest of his life from wrestling, that wrestling match. And then at the very end of his story, here's how it ends. He says... Um, his wife is giving birth, and she dies in childbirth. And as she's dying, her like last wishes is she, she names her son, and she names him Ben Onai, which means son of my trouble. So now, Ben Onai's brothers, he'll, he'll get the joy of growing up in a home where his brothers. Every time they say his name, every time they look at him, they'll be reminded of, you're the reason that mom's not here. You're, you're the reason for all the pain and emptiness in our family. But as soon as that happens, Jacob steps in. He says he's not going to be named Ben-Oni. He's going to be named Benjamin. The first time that Jacob names any of his kids, he says he's going to be named Benjamin, which means son of my right hand. And, and so you see Jacob there wanting to protect his son, protect the, the label that was on his son. And so I, I just, you know, I don't know you. I'm, I'm excited to spend the weekend with you. But there may have never been anybody to protect you the way that Jacob was there to protect his son, Benjamin. But I just want you to know that God is there. He's near. And he's good. Cling to him. Listen to him. Let him speak hope and life into you. Let me pray for us. Father, I thank you for your good news. I thank you for the way that you move. I, I, I thank you for the story that you're writing in this group, the story that you're writing in each of, of our lives. And um, Lord, I, I pray that that um, in this room you would find hearts that are really pliable in your hands and that you'd find hearts that are good soil for your seeds to be planted and roots to go uh, way deep. And Lord, help us to, to uh, trust you and what you say about who you are and what you say about who we are. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.